Hello and welcome back to the Sea Beyond Show. We will continue to talk with Amy Henry and Jason Ethier in Houston. This is the second part of our discussion. So if you don't recall what we talked about or ended up with, then please listen to the first part and then come back here. But uh, I hope you will enjoy this second uh, part two. And any apologizes for Jason's somewhat um, spacey voice every now and then. You know, Houston, you never know where they're circling around. Um, but uh, I think this continuation is also extremely interesting uh, part as such. So, hope you enjoy. But over to you, Jason. You, you. Uh... Yeah, I, uh, I, I was, I was thinking, and I'm not sure I cut the thread of the original question. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. uh, but I'll, we'll, we'll take a stab at it. I, I think you know one, one of the, the challenges we have here versus in Europe is like there's there's relatively clear direction in Europe around how carbon is going to get you know measured and maybe that like not all the rules have been written but there's a clear endpoint that I think people are working to and you know I I, I think there's this this kind of duality in the U.S. where yes you know we, we don't want to subsidize things with like an, an unreasonable carbon price but we also need to capture correctly the externalities of the, the cost of, of kind of creating the carbon um, and, and so I think in Europe, there, there, there's good direction to say, okay, how are we actually going to put a number on this? And, and when you put a number on it and a mechanism on it, people can engineer around it. They can build a business model around it. I think in the U.S., we, you know, yes, we have 45Q and people are engineering around that. But 45Q yeah. is not specifically a measure of carbon um, and, and carbon abatement, right? Uh, and, and not from a like a life cycle analysis perspective. Um, and, it, and, and it doesn't really set us up in a like market, I think, is where people really, really think we need to go um, it, it, for a long term sustainability of this kind of, of, of mechanism. And so, you know, when we talk about companies that maybe are trying to substantiate themselves on a carbon credit market, then you realize, well, there's no certainty around like what a credit is and how it can be valued. And so you just have huge spreads on the value of a carbon credit and everywhere from I think uh, when I was uh, doing Dynamo, it was like $4 a ton. I think the kind of voluntary credits they sit, I think I heard it was like 10 to 12 a ton these days. And then you have some companies who are monetizing at, at um, 600 to $1,000 a ton. And you look at yeah. this and you go, this is a commodity that has a hundredfold price range on it. Well, it tells you it's, it's not standardized. It's opaque. There's not a lot of liquidity in it. Um, and the lack of liquidity is because it's not it's not a commodity. Let's be honest, it's not quite a commodity yet. And, and you kind of need that standardization to make something a commodity. And let me tell you, well, something Houstonians know how to do is pump commodities. So we kind of have to figure out how to get this to where you know we we can have a objective standard. And and I'm not sure, you know, we have the kind of the the willpower maybe politically here in the U.S. to kind of come out with a standard. But I, I think that's what most entrepreneurs look at is they say, well, I don't know how to value this thing I'm going to create. So it's hard to even integrate it into a business plan. Um, and so I think in some ways we're, we're looking at the carbon tariff as uh, a really good indicator of how to how to plan for things, because that that may ultimately drive yeah. a lot of the entrepreneurial decisions. And I mean, if we think about it, commodities and of mm -hmm. course, like oil and gas, they are global commodities. Of course, mm -hmm. you have the various, let's say, qualities and, you know, Mm -hmm. You can refer to it, but then uh, 
if you think about uh, level as cost of hydrogen uh, mm-hmm. productions and you know it's so depending on the electricity prices mm-hmm. that's not a global commodity not mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. so, yeah. so uh, you know so and it if we look at even europe or even within like let's say uh, for instance like uh, uh, norway i mean the the, the electricity price mm-hmm. can vary substantially between mm-hmm. the southern part and northern part so i mean it's like uh, yeah it's, more like, uh, let's say, predestined lottery or so. I mean, well, it is. And this is, and this is why yeah. we, we talk about non-technical risks so much, right? Yeah. So if you, as you rightly fully say, on hydrogen, the major, one of the major inputs to that is electricity. And the assumptions that the startups are making, and I'm not saying they're wrong or right, but this is this uncertainty. There's a lot that can happen about the assumptions you make on on that that input price. So the question is, is what happens if it goes, as we say, wayward south or down south? Hmm. What 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 are the alternatives when when you can overnight all of a sudden become sub-economic, right? Yeah, they'll say, oh, there's studies and there's certain. We have the same thing in unconventional, right? Unconventional uh, has really tight economics, really mm-hmm. tight. It's almost like a downstream business. And, you know, th- some of the inputs or assumptions that you put in into, into models such as that has a certain assumption about oil and gas prices, right? And it just doesn't, it doesn't work unless you say have a, 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 selling point or realized point of like 80 or 100 dollars but then if you talk about forget the black swan event but if you're down into the 50s or you're just going to cut the activity off right Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of the same thing yeah Yeah. but to to go back to kind of how this affects maybe where the markets go um who were talking i think i was there with you amy um but um you know, it, it indicates that hydrogen production is is actually going to go where, where the energy is, is low cost, like you suggested. But it'll it'll change the way people put together projects. And so I think one of the thing, one of the trends we saw here, um, especially in the ERCOT energy market, is because you can only really monetize power based on on spot spot price of electricity. Um, you saw a lot of projects kind of pick up with solar where they would couple storage. Right. And so there was this coupling of a couple of technologies to make projects viable long term and, and kind of dealing with the fact that solar kind of produces power whenever it produces it. And then the grid kind of has a, a different need. And so a lot of these projects were kind of commissioned together. So it wasn't separate things, but really solutions coming together to draw the analogy. I think you'll you'll see a lot of these kind of hydrogen and, and, and new chemical you know, new energy carrier factories come up where you can get that cheap power. And, and this is where geothermal kind of creeps into the story. And the question is, okay, geothermal has this challenge where they got to they gotta lock in like 10 to 20 year PPAs to really make the um, energy, um, you know, the, the, the project finance work. Well, if really what people need is a, is a molecule, and that is something that, that, that kind of sits into a, a market that you can move around. I, I, I am certain we're gonna see energy projects uh, uh, and, and hydrogen production projects show up in sun belts where they haven't before, but also show up in like geothermal, I don't know, not going to be belts, but they're going to be locations, yeah. hotspots, essentially, um, because uh, people are going to realize, OK, if I can really lock in, you know, these long contracts and, and I'm building a refinery for 10 to 20 years already, we might as well get the cheapest power that's decarbonized. Um, and, and that's how we get our low, uh, you know, low carbon fuel. Um, 
so that uh, there are things that will change because now um, you have a different outlet for the energy almost. Um, but it will be interesting to see how that evolves. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And and so of course there's a lot of challenges mm-hmm. with, with the, all the various flavors of the energy transition. I mean, uh, and also like I mean, technology selection might depend on uh, stable energy or intermittency in mm-hmm. in that sense. And of course, like wind, solar, with the fluctuations, maybe you need some some kind of uh, storage mm-hmm. uh, in intermediate uh, storage as such, but um, Something that evolves in mind as a question is that, let's say, uh, with all these challenges, is there a way back or do we have to push forward with this? I mean, uh, can we reverse the energy transition or is it just like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) we have um, to we have to go this direction? Yeah. What what do we say here? Failure is not an option. Is that is that kind of our mantra, you know, uh, to bust, right? Uh, But I think, you know, that's an important question, because if you look at history, um, the, the challenges, you know, people, you know, population grows monotonically um, and energy allows people to do more. Right. And so just historically, like our consumption of energy per person has been going up tremendously. And if you look at like the de- demand of energy sources, I don't think that really tapers off. Like maybe it's market share tapers. But I was, I was looking at a, a, a table um I don't know, a decade ago, it showed like wood consumption in Europe specifically um, was flat as a resource, right? And and yes, it's maybe, you know, biofuel is a small percentage, but um, it's, uh, it, the demand never really changed. So I think we have a real challenge, right? Like we have to, we have to either decarbonize all these sources or put an end to them. And, and historically, it's never something we've accomplished before. And, and, and I think that's why, you know, everyone is interested in, in carbon capture and storage is sometimes you can't change forces in nature and and you know the need for more energy is a force of nature just just by what the data shows us i'll i'll add this and i'll try not to get myself into trouble here but um <laughs> but i talk about this a lot you know energy companies have just done a terrible job at storytelling right mm-hmm. of what they've done and haven't done but you know, I see this. You got to go forward because we 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 have to tell the story of of energy, right? And the touch point it has on people's life, and we we have to address energy poverty, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. obviously, our industry has to be part of the equation. So in order to address you know energy poverty, you know we've got to look at alternative sources, and and then how do we bring, you know, the the same benefits people who don't have water. Or, yeah, or electricity, right? You know, the, the rest of the world can't forge ahead and climb it and leave, you know, half the world behind here. But, you know, how do we do that? It goes to, you know, if I if I just use it, U.S. as an example, you know, we pay, you know, energy and the, the royalties funds, like for Texas, it funds the universities. It funds the roads and the hospitals. They have foundations, you know, they pay for programs in inner city schools and, you know, giving back. So, you know, the, the touch point is everywhere, you know, th- mm. you know, any point in your life, you know, and the products and the byproducts. Right. So, you know, we have no choice to, to pledge forward. But I, you know, I, and, and I said this is I, I see this as energy's valley of death. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we, we have to start really looking at all of these things and say, OK, 
we look at batteries, right? You know, and the and the critical components. We've got to say, okay, where are these made, right? Actually, mm-hmm. where are these mined, right? These are not, you know, these are human rights violations too, as well, right? And we've got to look at, you know, are we making it better? Then how are you going to dispose of those those batteries? Or, you know, same things with you know the the wind farms. A lot of them are brownfield, right? So. Yeah. You know, these are all challenges, but I, I say we've got the next wave of innovators coming on stream. We really haven't had, we've had this, you know, kind of lull of innovators. And now there's been a, a just this huge boom. I think the latest stat, when I spoke at U, uh, OTC a couple of years ago, the stat was about 583 million uh, innovators, entrepreneurs around the world globally. I just look back this year and that number's all the way up to 1.2 billion. Right? Wow. Yeah. So, you know, you you have this next wave of innovators that are connected to the environment, the climate, you know, to the various social justice issues. So, how how do we marry those two and work hand in hand? That's I think that's the real challenge, yeah. Yeah. Of course there's a lot of challenges but let's say keep these these positive vibes vibes and and uh, push on so let's say uh, to wrap this up i mean um, what and each of you i mean uh, what do you think i mean where will you be in let's say in the next two three years perhaps five years what do you want to see more happening uh on on your turf oh man uh, I don't know if I want to like break this news here, but I, I think we're going to have a lean energy transition week is, is something that we're going to have to pull together. Um, yeah. I think we had a report come out in Houston last uh, last week with a few entrepreneurs who said, okay, what what do we need to what does the rest of the world need to know about Houston? And and I think the the number one challenge is um, most folks assume that that uh, we don't work on climate because we're such an energy capital. Um, and, and that's really a, a marketing challenge. I think the city knows this. This there, There's a lot of history, which we're not going to get into now, about how we know this. Um, but it's still something that you need to, you know, these these kind of, you know, old old conceptions you need to overcome. And so uh, we want to have um, a way to show that, uh, you know, to the outside world, you know, please come here and see what we're doing. And so we're uh, a bunch of the folks working on innovation energy are looking to align around a, uh, energy and climate, energy transition week, uh, essentially. Um, but uh, so that's something I'd love to see happen. Um, and then I think the other thing that that's a real challenge is um, the early stage capital still needs to be unlocked. And again, it's for that same reason. And if Houston is still a flyover state or flyover city, um, and uh, for good reason, uh, investors like to invest local. They like to you know be able to do a board meeting without having to fly very far. Um, but it, it's a challenge for, um, you know, it, when you're building a company, you know, you want a solution that's customer driven. If the customers are here, you know, and, and, and it's hard to get investment, it, it means the best solutions um, are not necessarily getting funded um, because not every founder has the ability to go and, and do a roadshow for four or five months in, in California or, or any other uh, state. So um, it's, it's an inefficiency uh, we all got to meet in the middle, um, so it's not like everyone everyone has to be here, but we got to find a way to 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 bridge that gap better. I'll say what I like to see in the next, you say, three, four, five years is that, you know, that Houston's being able to take the the magnets that we have to pull in a and and we've built out a a stronger, more thriving energy innovation community. 
you know, right now, you know, the innovators are not coming from our ecosystem, but that's okay. Um, but, but with that, because if you can't do that, then you can't address the issues of what Jason's talking about is this early stage of uh, mm-hmm. investment activity, right? So it's, can we do that and then activate what we have already? We've got a lot of angel investors, family offices, but then bringing in investors from both the West Coast and East Coast for inbound investment. You know, you think all the activity and infrastructure is here, but all of the early stage investments going to the West and East Coast. Right. Yeah. And so that's we, interesting. So yeah, yeah. It's, and, and, and so it is a bit. And I'll say the capital go, goes farther because Houston's a lot cheaper to be in those areas. Right. So what I'd like to see is we've got a lot of labs. We've got a lot of, you know, workspace but from the universities, you know, and industry is beginning to open their, their facilities up from an, doing more kind of collaboration with innovators. What I'd like to see is all of those spaces kind of are, are well known. People know about them. It's not a hidden, hidden gem. And they start to have, you know, really filled up ca- capacity there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you say? I mean, uh, p- people listening, I mean, should think that Houston is not, uh, let's say, a closed lab or environment. It's open, <laughs> uh, open-minded minded as such, business-friendly. And uh, I think both of you, you have the force to kind of uh, <laughs> make this thrive. And, and I think, I mean, you're so passionate uh, also. You, you're you're uh, two great people and I'm, I'm happy to contribute with what I can, with my humble uh, knowledge and, and, and network capabilities. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we jumped all into this uh, based on, I think, our... our uh, off the record session so we have to do a bit of a reverse pitch here uh, <laughs> also because uh I've, let's say i have to maybe edit this into the beginning but actually uh tell me shortly uh each of you your let's say roles and 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 um who you are actually so we uh, enlighten the audience about that too I'll pass it to Jason first. Jason goes first. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, Amy and I are are working on a, a project we're calling the Lambda Catalyzer. Uh, this is a, an acceleration program really designed for the unique needs of energy in Houston. Um, and our goal is to uh, help uh, companies develop that first proof of value in their in their startup, um, which is doing a, a capital pilot. And in capital pilots, you know, they go anywhere from a hundred thousand dollars to ten million dollars. We're not going to provide the capital, um, but we're going to uh, work with the, the companies that want to be in Houston and want to work in energy and uh, help them get through a lot of the pre-feed and pre-FID um, exercises needed to really sell a project. And, and and why is this important? Well, these companies have fantastic technology. It works, um, but it still needs to be molded into a form that um, works for, for industry. And, and I think in other industries, I'll talk about that as products or things like that. Um, but here it's big stuff and you got to sell a project. Um, and, and those projects have a lot of components that are just very complicated. Um, and so we're, we're helping the entrepreneurs kind of navigate that. So they have something that that market will all take. If you're not there, industry will, will look at it and say, please come back when you're ready. It has nothing to do with that technology. It is like 80% non-technical risks. And, and that's where we're really trying to help, um, help the startups navigate this field. And the name of the game is really acceleration, right? If we can take two to three years off of a timeline and help an entrepreneur get into the market, um, you know, in nine months, that's really our goal. 
uh, you know, you can really change the the math on how we can decarbonize and how we can, you know, facilitate the energy transition. Really, you can really compress, um, you know, the timelines. But also, we do the work right. The projects have lower risk. They'll be more successful. They will unlock follow-on capital, um, and then we can move on to the next technology. So that's that's really what the catalyzer is about. Uh, Amy, I don't know if you have any more you want to add there. No, and I think I think with this, along with this activity, is is naturally it's you know attracting you know the the the, the capital inbound right for you know because it can't just be industry funding the, these whole projects right. So it's also bringing in you know additional capital providers that can say okay, listen, the customers have have looked at this, they're interested in the technology, they want to go forward. Um, I think that's really important. But I think it's hurting and disgusting across the energy value chain. It's huge. Right. And so that's going to be kind of, you know, part of my focus, not only to continue to herd and and because we have to push and pull on the energy companies as well is, you know, bringing more of that value chain into that discussion. You can't do it all at once. Right. But. Um, we have to do it like it's, it's like all the projects. It's modularly, right? It's you know starting with one section, you know, kind of get that the integration and collaboration going, and then you have to work on that the, the next modular section, right? It's not a standalone. Um, so I think a lot of this is about engagement, and it's about working throughout the globe, right? Of have, building that interconnectivity because technology's in, in spot. We've got people working on great things around the world. So then it's really about how do we, you know, pull the attention to those and then kind of bring them in, in to where they can really work with some of these large companies who are putting the investments in these technology areas. So I think it's exciting. I'm very I'm saying, OK, listen, I personally we, we're not going to meet 2050, but I, you know, I'm yeah. ex-shove. So I'll say aspirations. We always have aspirations. You've got to, you know, because this is how you push, right? You have a base you're working from. Where are you now? It's kind of this opportunity framing. Where do you want to be? You know, it's first the hardest part is getting people to just draw that line in the sand. So, you know, their work, they've done that and they're they're modifying on the 2050. So now it's, it, I call it's the missing middle. Now we've got to work on that, you know, how do we actually execute, Yeah and operationalize and and get it to the end point so yeah but that's great you are two positive very capable persons and my takeaway from this is also that i mean what i heard is that let's say uh, for the energy transition failure is not an option absolutely not we have to push on and and uh, execute that messy middle and uh, then of course we have to in ensure we get more of these positive business collisions between Houston or US and Europe. We have yeah, to work yes. together to make this this work. Absolutely. So um, I appreciate so much you taking time in the morning talking with me. If you did skip your yep. morning coffee, you, you will have time now to take your cup of tea. Well, and I have whatever. to say thank I, I, you for your passion. For those who don't know Mika, I mean, he's he's probably one of the most passionate people that I actually know about innovators and entrepreneurs. And, you know, it's not just having the conversation within within energy. I have to say, just keep on doing what you're doing, Mika. Yeah. We need more champions like you. Yeah. 
Thank you, Mikhail. And I want to extend uh, an invitation to you and, and honestly, your li- listeners as well. If you, if you find yourself in Houston, um, we want you all to come by our office and say hello, and we'll find a caddy corner if you just need a place to, to, to rest between business development meetings. Um, so, you know, uh, look us up and, and, and don't be a stranger because um, we want to be welcoming. That's a good thing. And thank you for your kind words also, Amy. And um, we, we, we make these together happen. Absolutely. Yeah. The whole uh, energy transition uh, with our own, own contributions. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. So that's all for this time and uh, this year, actually. Um, we'll be back in 2024. I hope you subscribe, share and like this one. Thank you so much.